This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. Welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I'm Kevin Randall. I'll be joined here in just a moment by Philip Mantle. And before we get to that point, I wanted to make a couple of things clear. Number one, Philip and I have a business arrangement. He has published a couple of my books in the uh, recent past, including the Under Understanding Roswell and Leveland books, which um, I'm excited about. I, I like those both those books, but then, of course, I'm biased on that respect. So we do have that relationship, but that does not mean I will not push him on questions or things that I find a little bit hinky uh, if we go off in a direction I don't want to go. But I thought it was important to let you know that I do have a business relation with him. The other thing is we had planned to talk about his books, um, Landings in the United Kingdom, and his work with uh, Calvin Parker about the Hicks and Parker abduction in Pascagoula, Mississippi, back in 1973. We're going to have to delay that slightly in the program here, because I think the elephant in the room, of course, is the um, congressional hearings on UFOs, although they insist on calling them UAPs, held on Tuesday. And both he and I watched that program. Uh, to my calculations, it lasted 87 minutes, so it wasn't a very detailed uh, examination of what's going on in the program and what's happening on it, but it uh, did relate some interesting things that I'm sure we'll, we'll get into, some things that uh, he observed and I observed. I have a longer analysis of the program from my perspective, a different perspective, if you will, um, on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. So if you, uh, when we get done with the program here, if you want to take a look at some further analysis and some additional thoughts, uh, there's the place to go. As I said, the guest is Philip Mantle, who is a veteran UFO researcher, an author, and he's published in the United Kingdom. He has been actively involved in UFO research and investigation for 40 years. And during that time, he was part of the Yorkshire UFO Society, the British UFO Research Association, and the MUFON uh, Mutual UFO Network. In 2015, he founded Flying Disc Press and has published a number of UFO books, including best-selling books about the Hickson Parker abduction in Pascagoula, Mississippi in October of 1973. And his website is flyingdiscpress.blogspot.com. Flying Disc Press is all lowercase and all run together as one big long word. Uh, so it's flyingdisc.blogspot.com. Um, Welcome to A Different Perspective, Philip. Yeah, good evening, Kevin. Nice to speak to you again. <laughs> yeah. You got, you got me scared now. <laughs> In case we go hinky. I don't know what hinky means, Kevin. <laughs> uh, I guess that's an Americanism that you'll have to put into your vocabulary. It means a little strange, a little off the beaten track. I don't know. That's, that's um, okay. I think, I think the first thing we need to touch on, your impressions of the congressional hearings yesterday what did you think of them i know you said you watched the whole thing yeah i, I watched the whole thing like you said it was just short of 90 minutes uh, i don't think any of us had any idea how long it was going to last or how brief it was going to be i thought it might go on a bit longer by the way you know some people were talking it up but as you know a lot of people had a lot of expectations of it kevin and you know I, i'm not one of those um I think we didn't learn an awful lot. Okay, there were some numbers thrown out there about um, UFOs and near misses with aircraft. I think they said there was 11 of those. They've got 400 of sightings under under their belt in their database, whatever you want to call it. Um, no details of that, of course. Uh, and, of course, they're not looking at anything historical. So I think they're going back to 2004, which we already knew. Uh, they're only dealing with mainly the military by the sound of it, Kevin, although they did mention 
the Federal Aviation Authority and NASA and other intelligence services. But primary, so forget Joe Public, you know, they, they look like they're out there. But what didn't did make me laugh in, in some respects, Kevin, it, it did give me a bit of a tickle, is when they they were asked how they documented these things. <laughs> and they got them to fill, they're getting them to fill a form in, you know, which has been, you know, part of UFO research from day one. You know, okay, the form that you'll have to fill in will probably be electronic, I dare say. But I remember the old days of sending out UFO report forms to witnesses. And most UFO groups uh, did the same. So it doesn't matter how much money you've got, Kevin, or how many resources you've got behind you, or whether you were in Congress or whatever, if you want to report something, you've got to fill a form in, mate. So things haven't changed in that respect. But let's, let's you know, try and be positive about it. It's the first one. Uh, it is said that this will be, you know, the start of a 10. There'll be more to follow. Uh, there may be a degree of transparency. We'll, we shall see. But I think the main phrase throughout all of this, Kevin, was national security. And, and of course, I, yes, I, I picked it, up on that. I picked up on that as well, and I think that's yeah. the the mantle they will uh, wrap themselves in to keep the information private. They're they're soliciting the information merely for you. You know better than I do that national security is a blanket that they can use to cover anything and everything they want. You know, it, it's a get out get out of jail card every time, and, and we understand in some circumstances that's necessary. You know. All governments keep secrets, and it's not necessarily the information that, that is is secret. It's the way they've gathered and collected that data in the first. So we understand that, but when dealing with this subject, surely you'll be able to release the details without informing people how you've collected that data. So therefore, you're not tipping off any potential enemies or adversaries. Um, so you know, it was a bit of a disappointment in that respect. I'm glad it only went on for 90 minutes in the end. Um, there was still the, the the sort of giggle factor thrown into it because the gentleman who was talking on behalf of the intelligence services, I know there's two of them, um, he was asked if he liked science fiction. What the hell does that have to do with anything? You know, you know, I, I picked up, I picked up on that. The very, the, what was it? The second question asked him was, do you do science fiction? Yeah. And I know that I have been accused throughout my career in UFOs, being a science fiction writer. I published 25, <laughs> 26 books of science fiction. I don't know how that disqualifies me from UFO research, but that seemed to be a thing they were pointing at. I also got the impression from listening to that conversation that he and the um, leader, the chairman of the uh, committee, had talked about this prior to sitting down there in the, in the hearing room, and they brought it up as a way of maybe – um, keeping that from becoming an issue. Yeah. We, we've got it out here. For, I, I mean, in, in a trial, if you know something bad is going to happen to your witness or there's some bad information, you bring it out yourself to kind of uh, lessen the blow. And I, I got the impression that might have been what they were attempting to do. Yeah. I myself has been to many, many science fiction conventions, and I only remember dressing up one time, and that was because I was leading the all-alien drill team. Yeah, was, allegedly one time. Let's let's put that on the record. <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> but but I, I was I was leading the all alien drill team, and one of the one of the uh, members of our drill team was a, was a octopus, and so everybody else had these bizarre costumes on, and and I was the leader of the drill team. But I don't think yeah I I got the I noticed that as well. We did that sort of thing. The other thing I wanted to say, and we kind of got away from it, is you mentioned the 11 near misses. And I wondered about mm. that because I was involved in um, a near miss as a helicopter pilot. And what happened was my co-pilot was flying and out of the corner of his eye, he saw another aircraft and he made a, 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 an evasive maneuver at that point, diving away and down. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, oh, we've got a on a collision course. I said, that guy's way far away. And I wondered if it might have been the same sort of thing. The pilot thought there was something coming close and it wasn't quite as near as they thought because we have no details. So we No, we have no details. The same with the little film that they tried to show. You know, again, and, um, what, what amazes me, Kevin, and, and I'm sorry if I sound somewhat cynical, <laughs> but, you know, these are top military fighters 
must be in you know 150 million dollars each range somewhere kevin yeah they Very showed expensive. A, yeah yeah uh, but there they show one and it looks like he's filmed it on his mobile phone or his cell phone you call it and and they couldn't they couldn't even show you the the close up of it you would have thought that they've had that prepared but it was no better than you see on YouTube, you know, oh, I filmed this last night on my mobile. It's just a blob that floats past and it could be any damn thing, you know. And it's the same with the, the so-called, you know, Fleur and Gimbal and Tic Tac videos. Again, you know, you have something that's $150 million, but all we end up with is a fuzzy blob. I would hope when they're going to combat, Kevin, that what, what they're seeing on their screens is not just a fuzzy blob so they know what to shoot at. Um, well, I, I thought I thought the same thing that the the one film that he showed where he didn't couldn't get it, uh, it framed properly to show yeah. him what the thing looked like. I thought, did anybody think about maybe bringing a still in as well to kind of illustrate yeah. what was going it, on? It doesn't actually give you a whole lot of confidence going forward when when. But that's like I said, start of a ten. Uh, we've all been there in presentations in the past, but yeah, but we're not working for the intelligence services in that respect. Well, I'm not. You might be, Kevin, but I'm, I'm certainly not, you know. Um, but, we, you know, it, it, I don't know how to sum it up, really. It's better than nothing, uh, I, I would say. But people have said disclosures, this, disclosure, that. And I'm, I'm saying, you know, and I'm sure you've heard it before. Me, Kevin, when I first started in this business, it was going to be they're going to tell us, the government's going to tell us this, that and the other. And it's the same story with a with a different name to it this time. It's now called disclosure. You know, well, let it, me interrupt you here because I'm going to have to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'll be here with, of course, Philip Mandel. We are distance uh, social distancing because he's so far away from me. But uh, we will be back talking about the congressional hearings, and then we'll get into some other aspects of the UFO field, including the Parker Hickson investigation that he's conducted. We will be back right after this. So please stick around. We are back. I'll be joined momentarily by Philip Mantle. We were talking about the congressional hearings conducted yesterday and our lack of enthusiasm for what transpired. And I wanted to bring up one point uh, about that, and it's the Maelstrom Air Force Base sightings from 19, the 1960s. Um, what bothered me about that is one of the representatives asked these intelligence people about this sighting, which did affect national security because a number of missiles were shut down by an outside influence, which supposedly was impossible. Neither of them knew about this. I would think that they would like to look at the history of the UFO phenomenon to get an idea of what's gone on before them so they don't duplicate the same things, make the same mistakes over and over again that we saw with the various UFO investigations that preceded them. But I thought it was surprising that of all the sightings that they should have known about, um, and, and Maelstrom would be among the very first, they just seem to have no knowledge of that. Uh, Philip, did you kind of get the same sort of um, impression that they just didn't seem to know anything about the UFO phenomenon? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know these gentlemen's history and what they've been involved in, what work they've done. I know the gentleman said I've been in intelligence for X amount of years, but what branch, what he studied, you know, what he was working on. I would imagine it's, you know, nothing to do with this subject. So in some respects, I wasn't surprised, but you'd have thought they've got, that somebody would have briefed them on maybe the bullet points down the decades, Kevin, if nothing else, you know, so that you had a, what we would call it, a working knowledge maybe, or, you know, it, it's it's like when, you know, in, in Parliament and in Congress, they have advisors to brief them on certain things if, they, if they're not up to date with it. But like you said, it seems that they have little knowledge or, or understanding of any aspect of UFO history. And as far as they're concerned, like we mentioned, they're starting in 2004, and that's the line in the sand. And unless there's a reason to reopen, you know, investigations into Maelstrom, 
then like that will happen. But what what interested me as well, Kevin, um, because they talked, they mentioned Project Blue Book, and of course Blue Book wasn't ideal. We all know that. You know, I published one of your books on Project Blue Book, but it did have some funding. It did have some staff. And at times it did investigations, you know, field work. It doesn't look like, from what I've seen so far with the, the so-called UAP task force, that there's going to be any of that involved. It's, I, I, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. I know you will anyway. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's full of forming and we might have to speak to you. And that is that it? I mean, you know, I don't know. I was... Like you said, they mentioned Project Blue Book, but they had no sense of history yeah. at all. They said, well, it all began with Project Blue Book. It was the only investigation. That's simply not true. And we all know that. There was any number of investigations you care to point to, some of it we know very little about. I had done a book not that long ago called Project Moondust, which was an investigation of UFOs that they seem to have no knowledge about. I had the impression they were only going back to 2000, not necessarily 2004. But the real point is they've got a cutoff date yep. that precludes them from looking at all that material that uh, transpired prior to them coming on board. They talked about subject matter experts. And I thought when I first heard the term, they were looking at people from the UFO field that would have knowledge of what had gone on. And I was thinking of people like Jerry Clark and, and Dr. Michael Swords, people who've been around for a long time and done some great research. You don't want to forget Barry Greenwood, for example, and probably John Greenwald to name two other people. Uh, I, I can name a number of people who would be great subject matter experts for them. But they were talking about physicists and meteorologists and uh, people would have scientific knowledge of some arena they might have to explore. And I think, well, that makes sense as well but they seem to have no, no no desire to really look at what went on bef before them. They talked about uh, sometimes detecting these RF signals from mm. the craft. And I was thinking, gee whiz, uh, have you heard of Leveland, yeah. which yeah. where the craft actually suppressed the operation of car engines and things like that. And to plug a book that you published for me, uh, Leveland uh, looks at that in detail and what I found during the investigation was that Air Force involved officers were close enough to have their car stalled during that activity in level land. But they seemed to not care about that. Instead, they wanted to push, well, you know, we got to watch out what the Russians are doing and the Chinese are doing and have they developed some technology, some unmanned technology that uh, will come back to haunt us? Do they know something that we don't know? Uh, and And that sort of thing. They were more focused on terrestrial explanations and stayed away from the UFO, the UAP, for the most part. Do you think they were frightened of making a mistake in that respect, Kevin, that they had to sort of concentrate on, you know, this being an adversarial, you know, the Chinese, the Russians, whoever else, um, just in case, you know, if they if, if it turned out they've, they've made a mess of things and some of these were, you know, drones or missiles or, you know, from from a, a a foreign source and they and they've not known that and and they've gone looking in the wrong direction have they put that in as a as a you know again a, a get out of jail card or as some people have speculated is that a backdoor move to try and get more military funding uh, i don't know i'm just i'm just speculating but it, it was curious that they didn't seem to have a clue about what had gone on in the past but is that a good thing? I wouldn't think so. Like we said, they should at least know a brief history. Maybe we'll send them a couple of books, Kevin. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Let them know what's going on. Uh, I think their background has nothing to do with UFOs. I think the two men that were there um, um, worked in other areas of intelligence. I spent an awful lot of time in military intelligence myself, and if there was any UFO stuff going on, I never saw it, although mm -hmm. I could make a real case. Yes, I was deeply involved in uh, was consulted about all these important projects. But I, th I think the, the point is they, they really have no knowledge of it. And I don't understand. And I, and I saw the same thing with Avi Loeb, who's the Harvard astronomer who uh, is looking into this, wanting to stay away from the UFO phenomenon. And, and I'm thinking, but there's information there that's to be mined. There's things that you could learn from that and and build upon that rather than um, ignoring it and kind of re, re inventing the wheel hmm. one one thing that i did notice uh and but it come from a, a different source is that 
the the British Ministry of Defence, um, they did a, a a report. The only the only thing they've done on UFO was called Project Condine, and it was released in two thousand and four, I believe. It was originally classified. Um, it was compiled by a chap called Dr. Ron Haddow, and I think it took four years to compile it. And they too, Dr. Haddow was concerned about uh, UFOs and their possible effects on aviation systems, control systems, et cetera, et cetera. Although um, Dr. Haddow came out with the conclusion that what we were dealing with was some kind of unknown plasma. So we had, you know, uh, one unknown, <laughs> you know, left to, to describe and, and write off another unknown. But nonetheless, the, the, the similarities between the two were, you know, the, the safety of aviation and that kind of thing. And of course, as you talked about Leveland and other cases where there was uh, electronic effects on vehicles. So, you know, and, and they also said, I, I don't know why they didn't pursue these questions that we're asking now, Kevin, to be honest. You know, he mentioned working with allies. Well, which allies? You know, it could have nothing wrong with mentioning a few of them. So I would have thought those asking the questions would have followed up a little bit better than they did. But, you know, there you go. Well, since you mentioned that, the, my thought is that this was basically for show to kind of um, here's the public public face of it. Now we're going to go do the real stuff in the classified version mm. of it. And, and of course, that stuff will supposedly never leak. Um, but of course, our government is like a sieve anymore and everything. <laughs> leaks, so we don't have to worry about that. Let's let's move on from that. Um, you've been doing a lot of research into the Hicks and Parker abduction from 1973. And I've been interviewed uh, Calvin Parker here on the program a couple of times, and it seemed to be a very nice chap, uh, to use a Britishism, <laughs> a nice fellow. Um, what are your impressions of his, his experiences and his stories? What do you think about that? Well, I have no doubt it's authentic to begin with, and, and he is indeed a nice chap. I mean, a very nice chap. I don't know what the, the U.S. equivalent is. A good guy, uh, down-to-earth, honest, hard-working, you know, God-fearing. Uh, you, know, you can put all the all the words in there you want. I mean, what, what you have to understand, when I first um, spoke to Calvin, I wasn't in the lookout for a, a, a new book. I'd got the rights to republish Charles Hickson's book that he wrote with William Mendes back in 1983, UFO Contact of Pascagoula. Now, we know Charles Hickson had passed away, but I thought, I think Calvin's still around somewhere. Maybe I could just get an interview with him, you know, just bring, stick it in the back of the book somewhere and as a, bring it up to date a little bit. So it took me three months to find him. And this will make you laugh, Kevin. I mean, the, my first part of call was Mississippi. And there was a, a UFO group in Mississippi. I thought, maybe that's, I'll start there. They'd never even heard of the case, let alone Calvin Parker. They sent me some links to a website. They just did a Google search. Well, I may be getting old and a bit, you know, but I can do a Google search. But anyway, I eventually found him. Um, uh, a gentleman put me in touch with him. And when I first spoke to Calvin, he was very polite. You know, but he didn't say an awful lot, Kevin. He was kind of almost like a politician. He said a lot without telling you anything, you know. And it, it was quite clear that he, at that point he, he wasn't interested. However, um, unknown to me, Calvin just a few weeks beforehand had been to a friend's funeral service. And I think they were leaving the funeral home and he signed some kind of book or and he put Calvin Parker, and those following on behind saw his name and the point in and wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, it's the alien man. So his wife, Waynette, she by this time had enough. And she said, Why don't you tell your story in full for the first time? Get this over with. And he said, Yes, dear. You know, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, as we've all done, if you marry, you placate the wife. And then, of course, a few weeks later, I'm on the telephone with him. So in the end, he had no choice. And let me, let me interrupt you there because we're going to yeah. have to take a break. And I think that's a good place to stop right now because it kind of gets us where you were going with that. Uh, the, your, of course, website is flyingdiscpress.blogspot.com and mine is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Uh, if you go to mine, you can search through Calvin Parker's 
search for Calvin Parker's uh, interviews and you can listen to what he had to say about that as well. And I think you'll get an idea of what kind of fellow he is. I will be back right after this with um, Philip Mandel. We'll be talking a little bit more about the um, books he's done with Calvin Parker. So please stick around. I am back. I'll be joined momentarily by Philip Mantle. When we went away, we were talking about the Hickson Parker abduction of October of 1973. Uh, and the one thing, Philip, I want to explore with you, uh, you we, we see how you connected with him, but the one thing I want to explore with you at this point is the idea that there was only the two guys who witnessed the thing. It was only um, Hickson and Parker, who saw the UFO. And your investigation showed that that wasn't true, that you found a number of people who actually saw the UFO and the events that took place that night. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, once Calvin had told his story, we, we published the first book. Um, he, he did some local publicity. And a, a journalist by the name of Karen Nelson came to interview uh, Calvin. And even though she was a print journalist, she, she'd made like a little mini documentary, you know, eight or 10 minutes long, interviewing him, et cetera, et cetera. That was released, and somebody put it on YouTube, Kevin. And thankfully, there was comments. In one of the comments, um, a lady had put, my mum and dad were on the opposite side of the river that night, and they too saw the UFO. And it was a proper name. It wasn't some, you know... So I, I found this this lady and I said, could we speak to your mum and dad, please? I explained who I was. So they put us in touch and I spoke to Mr. and Mrs. Blair. They were living in Alabama at the time, but which is not that far from where Calvin resides. And they told us that on the night in question, Mr. Blair worked in the fishing industry and he was on the other side of the river waiting for a boat to come in, but it was late. And he wasn't in the best of moves as a result. And Mrs. Blair said, we're pacing up and down this little pier. And she said, over the other side of the river, I could see this blue thing. And it's moving around as, as if it's lost or, or as if it's looking for something. And Mr. Blair said, He's, I, he said, I saw that as well. And then as they're watching this thing, their boat, Mr. Blair's boat came in. So Mrs. Blair says, we're walking along this pier. Obviously, it's dark. It's about, I don't know, nine-ish at night. They're not sure of the time. And she says, this is enormous splash in the river next to me. And she says, I look down, and there's a, these are her words, Kevin, not mine. She says, there's a, I quote, gray man in the water. And he went under the water, and uh, she literally ran up to the boat and threw her husband's uh, belongings onto, onto it and, and run back down. Because uh, she had to go back down where this thing had happened. Mr. Blair said he heard the splash. And um, and then the next day, of course, they see Charlie and Calvin's story released into the media. When Mr. Blair re just returned home, he said, don't tell anybody about it. Don't say a word. So that was as far as we got at that point. But as time progressed, Mr. Blair went on to say, well, I, I again, this is his word, not mine. He says, I saw the gray humanoid as well. I saw it come up out of the water and I saw the thing at the opposite side of the water take off, this blue thing. And when I spoke to, spoke to Mrs. Blair for the first time on the phone, she also said, I often wondered if something similar hadn't happened to, to me and my husband that happened to Charlie and Calvin. She said, I can, I can see something out of my peripheral vision, but I just can't make it out. And that, and that bothered her. But, you know, they said we were there. We saw the thing at the other side of the river. And uh, and they were, they were two out of uh, several that did, uh, Kevin. We had another gentleman, for example, here. Calvin was doing a book signing in Pascagoula. He came up, bought a book. Thank you, Mr. Parker. Oh, by the way, I saw the UFO that night. And off he went. 
But luckily for us, somebody was taking photographs. So we had a picture of this gentleman. So I put it on social media and someone contacted me, said, I know who that is. I'll ring him and see if he'll speak to you. And he did. His name was Mr. Lewis Lee. And again, he was on the opposite side of the river that night, but he was working in the shipyard. Uh, he was in a he was a crane operator. And he said, Philip, I, my, my cab is about 10 or 12 feet off the ground. He said, as soon as I got in it, he said, I could see this damn thing out across the river. And he said, I've never seen anything like it in, in all my life. And he watched it for a good while. And then he, his friend who he's working with shouted him. I, I think he got something on the end of his crane, Kevin, and he, he had to look away. And he said, when I look back, it had gone. So that was another one. Then we had another gentleman tell us, he said, I was driving across where this is in Pascagoula on the river that is Highway 90 Road Bridge goes right over it. We had a gentleman saying, I'm driving across the, the bridge. He says, but I only saw it for about 30 seconds, as if that's nothing, you know. And he said, I'm looking down on it. He said, I could see this blue thing down below me. And he, he said, he said, I thought it was going to crash. He said, I didn't know what it was, but I thought it was going to crash. Then he added, he says, the next day I went to my aunt's who lived down by the river, and he said, before I had a chance to open my mouth, she said, you'll never guess what I saw last night. And and so, you know, there has been others in and around the area, but these were all right next to the Parker and Hickson site. One's the, two of them at the other side of the river and a gentleman driving across the bridge. And, you know, as as as, as word got out about this, Kevin, and, and Calvin, thankfully, has been treated very respectfully by the news media, unlike back in 1973. I think it's encouraged others to step forward. Plus, others are getting to the age where, you know, they don't care anymore. They're in the late 60s, early 70s, you know. Uh, like Mr. Lee. I said to Mr. Lee, did you, did, did you tell anybody? He says, well, it's 1973, Philip. Who the hell do you tell? He says, you can't ring Ghostbusters. <laughs> and he says, I told my family. And that, and that was it. He said, I've never kept it a secret, but he said, who, who do you tell about one of these things? Uh, and he's right. You know, he, he is right. And um, they're just one of many others in and around the area, Kevin, that have stepped forward. And they're all independent of each other. And the only connection really is that they were about their, their everyday duties that night. You know, walking the dog, out for a drive with friends, you know, working in the shipyard, waiting for a boat to come in, driving the wife home. The gentleman across the bridge had his wife in the car. Um, well, this, so, this, uh, this kind of suggests a question to me, because if you remember back in the 1964 with the Socorro landing, there was a family that was driving up uh, what now is Interstate 25 toward, I guess, toward Albuquerque. And the UFO flashed over the top of their car. Uh, Oprah Grinder, who was a gas station operator, reported that to to Heineck and the other investigators that this family had stopped by and talked about this. But nobody could ever find them, and they never came forward. And the question mm -hmm. I always had is, this was national news at the time, as was the Hicks and Parker uh, abduction. This was national news at the time. And I wondered why the people who had some additional knowledge didn't come forward. Uh, I would have thought that, well, who do you talk to? Well, call the newspaper and tell them well, about it. There is a few that did that, uh, Kevin. We, we got some old newsreels. I mean, in, in Charlie's book, uh, there is a chap called, I think it's Jerry Booth. And he, he was a petrol, what we call a petrol station. He owned a gas station, you know, and he saw it. So he, there is an old black and white interview with him, you know, standing at his front door telling his story. And back in 1970, 1973, back in yeah, 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 absolutely. And then there's a little news reel. We've got a couple of little news. I don't know which station they're from. I can't remember off the top of my head. And there's a number of people interviewed. And one of the things I did with um, with 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 Calvin is because I asked him up front, "Have you got any documents, any paperwork, any photographs?" And he he did have somebody lost it all in Hurricane Katrina. His his house was under I don't know eight ten feet of water, so there's he hasn't even got photographs of his of his family as a youngster. They're gone. So I set about trying to get hold of all this, and what I did get was loads of, of newspaper cuttings, and of course there's people mentioned in some of these newspaper cuttings. And um, I'll give you another example, although it's, it, it came a few years down the line, but not ancient. In 1981, 
Uh, I was well when this came out. I was contacted by a Greek researcher called Stephanos Panagiotakis, and in 1981, Stephanos was in the Greek merchant navy, and they docked in Pascagoula, and he was a UFO researcher at that time. So he set off to find Charlie Hicks and interview him, which he did. Uh, he went to the police department and uh, uh, and they put him in touch with a chap called Don Broders. And Don uh, was part of the police probation service. And he said, you need to go and speak to Pastor Emmanuel Sigalas, who was of Greek origin. He said, because he and I saw something that night. So Stephanos was introduced to the pastor. He interviewed him and the pastor said, well, it's a Thursday night. We used to have a meeting at a local place for uh, people that struggled with alcohol. This was a church-sponsored thing. So the pastor's driving. He's got the probation guy. And then he said, we had a young volunteer, a young lady in the back of the car called Joe. So, we, you know, uh, Stephanus got the interview with, with uh, the pastor. He's sadly no longer with us. However, he mentioned this this young lady in the back of the car and, and managed to find her name. And she no longer lives anywhere near Mississippi. I tracked her down via her association with a church. And we interviewed her just, just a few months ago. And she remembered that night they were going to this Alcoholics Anonymous meeting or whatever you want to call it. And she was the first to see it as this object passed over, over the car in front of them, right over the road heading roughly in the direction of where Parker and Hickson were. So we got an original interview. And what, what's interesting, Kevin, is this gentleman called Broders. He was on the scene with Charlie and Calvin the day after the incident because they went to Keesler Air Force Base to be checked over for radiation. They just run a Geiger counter over them. And they said, why are you here, gents? Tell us what happened. Now, it wasn't recorded, but they had a stenographer, so it was recorded that way. And we have a complete transcript of the recording, you know, the stenographer, the transcript. Uh, but at the beginning, it tells you everybody who was there, all their names, their rank and whatever, their position, and Mr. Broadus is there. And, and Mr. Booth, I mentioned, I think his name's Jerry Booth, he somehow he ended up there because he was he was a witness to it as well. So there is there were some names mentioned originally, but I don't think there was any real follow up. Or, well, let me, or not. let me let me interrupt because I have to take the last break. But I think this is fascinating because I always had the impression that there were two guys involved in it, Hickson and Parker, and that was the only people that saw anything. And now you're telling me at the time, not only at the time, there were all these additional people who saw it and made reports at the time that you've been able to talk to. Uh, when we come back, I think we need to go to your book on uh, landings in the UK so we can talk a little bit about uh, how it, uh, the uh, phenomenon manifests itself in the UK. Uh, once again, my website is uh, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and we will be back right after this. So hang around. And we are back. When we went late way, we were talking about the Pascagoula um, abduction. And I think it's fascinating that you found so many witnesses who actually made statements at the time, which I think is an important distinction to make when you, when you have witnesses coming forward 35, 40, 45, 50 years later, things can get jumbled, but you've got people who were there and made statements on the record at the time. And I think that's an important well, I think I think one of the reasons why this happened, Kevin, uh, is because the location. It, it wasn't an out-of-the-way place. It's right next to the highway. They drove up to it in their car, even though it was a bit of a, a trash dump, as Calvin called it, you know, by the locals. But it, it, it wasn't in the middle of nowhere. Um, and and also, just, just to finish it off, to give you an idea, the, the, the police dispatcher who took the call from Charlie Hickson that night, he's still alive. And, and we've communicated with him and he said, Philip, I took 50 plus phone calls that night of UFO sightings on the phone. 
And he said, in the police station, there were others reporting it in person. So I'll give you some idea of what was happening. They were all logged. All those were logged, of course. But again, all that was washed away in Hurricane Katrina. I, I contacted both the police department and, and Jackson County Sheriff's Office just to see if they had anything, you know, left hanging around. But it had all gone, I'm afraid. So I'll give you a bit, of a, bit more of an idea, Kevin. Well, the, the, the thing I'll, I'll draw again to uh, Socorro is we were under the impression that the Zamora sighting was just Lonnie Zamora, period, end of discussion, although there was physical evidence left behind. But then we find out there were people who called the police uh, about the event, um, yeah. but they didn't bother writing it down or any of the information. And none of the people who were involved in investigating the thing in, in April of 1964 bothered to try to find those people. Socorro wasn't that very big. And they, they had an idea of where these people were residing because they said they heard the thing fly over, saw the thing fly over. So it's you could have been knocking on doors to find people about that. So it's, it's always stunned me that that sort of investigative technique uh, was not engaged, which brings us back, of course, to the modern era where we, we see the same thing. They're not doing the proper investigations, but we'll let that go. You've got a book that you had just done called, uh, I think, Landings in the UK. It's UFO Landings UK. And it's obviously about UFO landings in the United yeah, Kingdom. I, I mean, when I, when I first started in this business, Kevin, uh, you know, I hadn't been involved th that long. It was a local organization started by two brothers, Graham and Mark Birdsell. I live in the county of West Yorkshire. So and it was simply called the Yorkshire UFO Society. And I joined in it, you know, I was full of enthusiasm. Graham and Mark had been involved in a few years, you know, and I was what's called as daft as a brush, you know, I believed everything I read. And, and But so I did some local, you know, publicity and our local newspaper ran a story. And, and a, a lady called us and she said, you won't believe me. You won't believe me. You won't believe me. And I said, well, give us chance. You haven't told us anything yet. Now, the area that I lived in, Kevin, and areas around it was predominantly coal mines industry. My father worked down the mine all his life, all his life. You know, I had friends who worked down the mines. I worked in a factory when I left school. And and she, this lady was from a, a, another mining town just up the road from where I lived. It's a place called Normanton in West Yorkshire. Kind of long story short, Mark and I interviewed this lady at length and her children. She she lived in an elevated house. So you went up six or seven steps to get in the front door. It was a terraced house, a cul-de-sac uh, in, in the town of Normanton. And she said it was just after lunch. And one of her children, they were all outside, beautiful day, playing a ball game. One of them came running in and said, Mom, 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 there's an airplane crashed in the field. So at the bottom of the cul-de-sac was some trees and a little stream and a hill with some electricity pylons on it. And she said, when I came out of the front door, because it's elevated, I can see across these fields. And she said, it, it wasn't any airplane. It was this thing that shaped like a Mexican hat on the ground. So she got the children, off she went. And at one point they went down a little dip, so they lost sight of it. And when they come up the other side, this field is bordered by a fence. And they stood there, and this thing is still there. But now there's three humanoids, all in white. Um, we call them boiler suits. I think you call them coveralls. And they had a something over their face. They had mittens on, not gloves. They were waving something over the ground. One of the children tried to climb the fence, but she held him back. And these three beings went to the back of this thing. It rose up into the air, stopped, and then shot off into a clear blue sky. Now, if that wasn't enough, Mrs. Westerman thought, I'll sit down tonight. I'll see this on the local television news. Nothing. She bought the local newspaper. Nothing. She even asked some of her neighbors if they'd seen anything. Not a thing. And that bewildered her as much as, almost as much as seeing the damn thing, Kevin. Now, she never called it a spaceship or aliens. It was just this thing. And her husband was a coal miner, worked in a colliery nearby. They're no longer here now. They've all closed. Um, and, you know, she wouldn't allow us to use her name. I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to take a photograph. I mean, the ball game the children were playing is the same kind of thing I played when, when I was their age. I only lived a few miles away. Um, so, you know, we, we did the usual checks on the airport. The heli we used to have a helicopter place then. There was no police helicopters. We didn't have them at that time, Kevin. There was no air ambulance. 
couldn't find any logical explanation for it. So yeah, you ask yourself the question, are they lying or are they telling the truth? Well, I couldn't find any reason why they were lying, you know, and there were the type of people, I know it's not scientific or anything like that, but the type of people I'd grown up with all my life and I had no reason, but, but what it did, it, it come, I hadn't been involved that long. Uh, and I'd, I'd been used to reading books about things in the United States and, and other places, but here was something in my own backyard, um, which made it that much more real in inverted commas. In other words, for me, there was something worthy of me investigating, in, investing my time and money into it. And, and it was a UFO landing case. And I, I, I always kept an interest in them down the years. And I interviewed others or I would, you know, read articles about it and, and, and the file sort of, accumulated and i kept saying to myself i'll write all these up at one point and of course when when the covid pandemic struck and we we're all stuck indoors i had no excuse not to rather that i'll paint the bathroom you know <laughs> so so that, that was one of the projects i got out of the way and ufo landings uk is is you know available for those that might be interested so you, it's a, a compendium of a lot of different UFO landings in the United Kingdom. Is it like Scotland and Wales and Ireland as well? The whole absolutely, United absolutely. I even included the Republic of Ireland, which you know is not necessarily part of the UK, but they are connected via the landmass. It, it, it kind of made sense to me. Um, you know, it's only just over a hundred years ago they were part of the UK, but that, that's another whole long story. But um, so yes, throughout the throughout England, Scotland. Ireland and, and Wales. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the place names in Wales, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, might, I might have spelt them right, but I'll never in a thousand years be able to pronounce them uh, correctly, Kevin, you know. Um, but, you know, I used Hynex, um strategy, if you like, you know, you know uh, high strangeness. And he, I know he was a, you know, a favourite for that. The more data that you had, the closer they got to it. The more people that were involved, any ground markings, you know, any documentation. All these were sort of layers of high strangeness. And to some degree or another, the cases featured in the book have 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 that about them. And I, it's not I'm not there to say these are spaceships from wherever. I just allow you to make up your own mind. But it is, and another reason for doing it because. Certain parts of the media still like to take the mickey, Kevin. You know that. And there's the debunkers out there that would have us believe that these incidents only happen in Socorro, New Mexico, you know, or Roswell, New Mexico. Some some farmer with no electricity, you know, wakes up one morning and finds this stuff on his ranch. Well, that's not true, is it, Kevin? You know, these things, whatever they may or may not be, happen here, there, and everywhere. And they happen to people just like me and you, you know, your next door neighbor. You, the guy in the grocery store, gentleman you pass in the street, you know, just everyday, pretty much ordinary individuals going about their daily routines. And, and hey, presto. Um, so that's how it all came about, really. Well, I think that, you know, the interesting thing is there's some cases we get involved in where there's really only two explanations. It's either, either has something to do with alien visitation or it's a hoax. And uh, at times that hoax handle breaks off. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there, Philip, because I've run out of time. like to thank you for taking time late at night in Great Britain to join us here on A Different Perspective. Uh, the book is UFO Landings in the UK. UFO Landings UK is out UK. now. Kevin's bought a box full that he's going to give out to his friends and family. <laughs> so why don't you join him? <laughs> and... Uh, uh, it's flyingwingpress.blogspot.com, and you've no, got a whole slew no, of books. No, Kevin, it's not. It's Flying Disc Press, not Flying oh, I'm Wing. sorry, Flying Disc. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was thinking of Wendy Connors Flying flying Disc, yes. <laughs> flying Wings uh, project. Well, thank you, Philip. I appreciate your time tonight. It's a, it's a great pleasure to speak to you, as always, Kevin. Thank you. Okay. We'll, we'll chat later. Uh, next week, I'm going to be talking to Michael Shermer, I believe, We've tried this a number of times, and things have always gotten in the way. Uh, Shermer, of course, is publisher of Skeptic Magazine and has a very skeptical view of things. And I have some good questions for him and some things that we can talk about. And we'll mention, uh, we, we'll chat with him about the congressional hearings that just took place and what he thinks of those and what he thinks of Avi Loeb. And one of the reasons I had contacted Michael Shermer a number of months ago 
was to get his impression of uh, Loeb's book and what his research was uh, suggesting. And he said, well, he needed time to, to review the material. I thought, well, that was kind of a smart thing to do, uh, actually look at what you're going to be talking about. And so we've tried to schedule this a number of times and things have gotten in the way. But right now we're scheduled for next week and we will talk to him about that sort of thing. Uh, once again, my latest book is Understanding Roswell. It's a little bit different than the, most of the UFO books on Roswell. If you're interested in some of the dynamics of the case and some of the things that have blown up in our faces and some of the uh, people who were directly involved, I think this is the book you want to read. It's not sensationalistic. It gives us a more of a down-to-earth approach. And I'm really excited about the Level Land book, which is cleverly called Level Land, because I think it brings about a case that has multiple chains of evidence, multiple witnesses, and an interaction with the environment. So take a look at those. Uh, once again, my blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I will return in about 167 hours with Michael Sherber. So uh, thanks for stopping by, and we'll chat with you next week.